We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. James Ham here. And before we jump into this edition of the King's Beat podcast, I want to take a brief moment to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Prize Picks. If you want to liven up the way you watch Sacramento Kings games the rest of the season, then Prize Picks is for you. Prize Picks is a daily fantasy game and covers any sport you watch, including the NBA. Now, usually when people think of fantasy games, they think of having to set lineups, salary caps, and competing against hundreds, if not thousands, of other players. All for a shot to win just a small slice of a huge pie. But Prize Picks is different. You're not competing with anyone else to win big. It's just you versus the numbers. So how does it work? It's simple. You pick two to six players and predict if they'll produce more or less than the prize picks projections. If your predictions are correct, you can win up to 25 times what you entered. Need more clarification? Here's an example. You could submit an entry for De'Aaron Fox to score more than 27.5 points and Demonis Sabonis to rack up more than 39.5 points, rebounds, and assists combined. Hit on both, and you win. Price Picks is fully operational to residents in over 30 states, including California. And for King's Beat listeners, Price Picks is offering special deals for new players. Use the promo code KINGSBEAT, all one word, to receive deposit matches up to $100 when you sign up through the link to the prize pick location in the show notes. Prize pick entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, so you can join in on the fun quickly and easily. Plus, prize picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals within 24 to 48 hours. Thanks again for tuning into the King's Beat podcast, and thanks to Prize Picks for sponsoring this episode. Start playing today, and remember to sign up using the promo code KINGSBEAT when you do. Now, on to the podcast. He turns, he fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby, has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for yours. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse Podcast. Brendan, how are you? 
Doing good, James. It was fun being in Golden 1 Center the last two games, even if they weren't two wins. They were still close and entertaining games, so I'm doing good. What about yourself? Uh, Yeah, I'm good. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, the back-to-back wiped me out. Um, I was pretty beat up after the back-to-back. Uh, it, it, You know, like I had a, like Brendan knows this, but I, we had a snow day up here. I had to go help my father-in-law out. He, uh, he basically hasn't had power for a week. And we had to go shop and then bring a generator to him and gas and propane and drive in the snow. So yesterday, and shovel snow, yesterday was uh, a bit reckless. And then having to go cover a game until late, uh, that one wiped me out, man. It wiped me out. And, you know, I kind of feel like the Kings are a little wiped out. That's what they look like. They look they look dog-tired, man. And how I, I kind of judge them is, like, whether they're tired or not is I see the stupid fouls. That's where I, you know, they're not moving their feet. They're not quick to the punch. They're, they're getting touch fouls left and right in both the games on Friday and Saturday. And I I think it is sort of an indicator of, of exhaustion that this team is facing right now. Um, I don't know. Am I crazy? No, I mean, I think that obviously they practice a lot. That's been a theme with this team. And I actually think that that's helped them, but there are moments we've seen throughout the course of this year where they really do look exhausted. And um, there's some of these back-to-backs. I think of one earlier in the year when they were on a road trip. I think it was second night of a back-to-back in Atlanta. They looked totally gassed. Um, And you kind of saw that in that Minnesota game. But I will say it doesn't feel like the most valid excuse when the Minnesota played a back-to-back as well and you know probably could have had their own level of exhaustion. But when you're a team that's not very good defensively, and have to lock in on those little things, that exhaustion can probably hurt you a little more than some of these other teams. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's get to some of the business. First up, uh, Sean had something going on today, so he's not going to join us. Uh, There could be some random way that he shows up. Well, probably not even that. Sean won't be here today, uh, but he'll be here this week. Um, Let's see, outside of that, uh, make sure that if you're watching here on the live stream, give us a thumbs up. Uh, don't since Sean's not here to confuse you we won't talk about like hitting it twice or anything like that Uh, just give us a thumbs up and if you're new to the King's Beat uh, subscribe here to uh, the King's Beat on YouTube Uh, but also go to thekingsbeat.com become a subscriber become a premium subscriber and get invitations to things like the happy hours but also uh, access to all of the writing and all of the other things we do at the King's Beat and like look you're supporting uh local um, journalism and uh, you know people who have covered the Kings for many many years and uh, you know put out put out good content um, let's see uh, Jim Garfunkel in in the chat says uh, he got his Kings beat swag and stickers uh, yep I, I sent that out uh, so you can also jump on board with Kings beat apparel uh, which is cool um, Brendan uh, we haven't been in this situation for a long time in Sacramento, uh, but watching, like, here we are on a Sunday afternoon, and like every single game that's on TV matters to the Kings. Are, are you feeling that? Like, it's something that I, I know that they don't kind of want to acknowledge, but here we are. I've got the Lakers and, and Warriors game on. We just saw the Mavs and the Suns, and then every single time you see a game come to a conclusion, you're looking and 
like how does that impact the Kings? And you know, for again for the Suns, they just moved within two games of the Kings, but they're only three games back in the loss column. Dallas, on the other hand, that's they're now six games back in the loss column, and they're running out of time to catch up to the Kings. They they're at sixty five games, so they only have what seventeen games left on their schedule. The Kings would have to have a catastrophic collapse in order for a team like Dallas to catch up. And I'm doing this with every single game I'm watching. You know, you're you're looking at the Lakers and, and Warriors, like, who are you pulling for? Like, okay, go ahead and win, Lakers. That would help the Kings because that, that means that the, the Golden State Warriors win streak would be snapped and they would move a few games behind the Kings as well. Just where are you at with how you're you're sort of tracking and watching the standings at this point in the season? First of all, I'm disappointed that you really just said on this Kings podcast that you want the Lakers to win a game of basketball ever. A little Oh, yeah. Jokes. Yeah. No, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just looking purely at the standings, and I would rather the Kings host a first-round matchup and uh, to lock into a top-four, uh, you know, uh, draft spot. I think it's really interesting that, you know, the Kings aren't that far away from already being in that that conversation of, of like locking in a home court first round playoff series. Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely get where you're coming from. Just giving you a little bit of a hard time, but I, I think that that's also been my focus recently. I, I feel pretty confident about top six at this point, And I'm really even feeling pretty good about top four, although it's a little early to call that. Um, and kind of transitioned more into thinking about some of these matchups because, because that's becoming more and more of a, reality at this point that that's going to be a thing that the kings have to think about here and as we touched on the last episode i'm not exactly sure what the good matchups would be for this king's team but it's intriguing to watch at this point and it makes for entertainment even outside of just games that sacramento was directly involved in but it's it's going to be intriguing man because at the same time a lot of these kings games i feel like i'm walking away with the same sort of takeaways so i have bigger takeaways from watching these other teams i feel like rather than oh well the kings are great at defense and they're still horrible or great at offense offense. horrible at defense yeah i mean that's become like the theme of of the week right Uh, i don't think it's without it's been the issue all season long that the king's defense isn't great but their regression on the defensive end over the last even the last two games like we can start with the Clippers, we can we can start with the game we saw last night where they lost to the Timberwolves. It, it doesn't really matter. the The offense has been what's winning games right now. I, I looked this morning; their offensive rating is crazy. Their offensive rating is up to uh, what is it, one hundred eighteen point five. So they are, uh, yeah, one hundred eighteen point five. They they're the highest offensive rated team of all time in the NBA as of right now. But their defensive rating just keeps sinking, man. They're at a 116. So their net rating has stayed right around the the same, 2.4, 2.5, 2.6. Their offense keeps getting better. Their defense just keeps getting worse. And at this point, they're 26th in offensive rating. And they're tumbling. And we're seeing, even in uh, a game like Minnesota, I guess we can start here with the they lose, uh, I don't even know the final, what is it, 136, 134 to Minnesota uh, on Saturday night. Um, and in that game, Mike Brown 
like, first of all, he turned to P.J. Dozier because things were going well. Keegan Murray was having one of his worst games of his career. Uh, so he turned to P.J. Dozier. That didn't work. He turned to Alex Len for a few seconds. That was crazy. He turned to Kessler Edwards. And then you watch Kessler Edwards become such a force defensively. And I kept thinking to myself, is Kessler Edwards good at defense? Or is everyone else just so bad on the Kings roster that he stands out? Like, hey, what are you doing, man? You're making us look bad. Like, why are you playing defense like that? I mean, did you get that same feel? Like, Kessler Edwards was just like, holy cow. Uh, He was good. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. And it felt very Kaziak Paula to me, except I think that Kessler Edwards has a little bit more just can kind of fit in on offense a little bit more than where I felt like KZ was a liability on that end of the floor, but nobody could stop Anthony Edwards in that game. And it wasn't like that Clippers game where it was just tough shot making that 170 plus game from both sides. Um, Talked to a couple people since, and most people seem to think like it wasn't bad defense, despite it being 175, 176, I think was the final. It was just crazy shot making. Yesterday, that was great offense. It was great offense. Yeah. Yesterday's game against Minnesota, though, specifically Sacramento's uh, side, was just really bad defense. It felt like it was layups for Anthony Edwards. There were so many times where Sabonis is is forced to help in a pick and roll, and then the Sacramento player on the weak side isn't coming in and, and helping the helper there. It's something that Mike Brown pointed out, specifically calling out Kevin Herter and Malik Monk for combining for one rebound in that game. So... That was, it wasn't an aspect of Minnesota playing great offense and or and making tough shots. It was definitely more so Sacramento giving them whatever they wanted, but Kessler Edwards ended up being the best option. I actually didn't think P.J. Dozier was horrible. He didn't stand yeah. out the same way that Kessler Edwards did. I see why Mike went in a different direction, but it, it was encouraging to see that from Kessler Edwards. I'm not convinced that he like needs to be in the rotation necessarily, but... I think we could see sort of KZ Paula type minutes that we saw from him earlier in the year. I think we might, like, first of all, Mike Brown was very honest and said that he did not intend, like, that wasn't something that was planned, that, like, the Kessler-Edwards thing just happened. And and then Kessler-Edwards did enough to stay on the, on the court. Um, Anthony Edwards had 22 points in the mid-third quarter. He sat at 22 points until the last like minute and a half of the game when um, I think he got a couple of free throws and then he had one he had one finish. O- outside of that, I thought Kessler Edwards completely took him out of the game. I, I it was to, it was stunning to me that we we're watching a guy who hasn't played hardly at all um, run a plus 12 in 14 minutes of action, and I don't believe in plus minus as like this end all be all stat. But there are certain times where the plus minus matches the eye test. And I thought that that is exactly what we saw from, from Kessler Edwards. I, he's long. He's athletic. Mike Brown even said something, which I think it wasn't like a, it, it was kind of a finger pointing at the, the style of player that Casey Akpala is, but I don't think it was like a shot at Casey Akpala. But he said that he can take a hit and square you up and stay in front of you. And that's not something that they have a lot of. You know, he's a guy with a he's a six foot eight, six foot nine guy with um, a seven foot plus wingspan. 
but he's also strong. And I thought, you know, like his three-point shot was nice. His rebounding, I thought was really good. He did, he had no idea what to do once he got a rebound. That was kind of like, holy cow, you haven't played with these guys at all. Um, but overall, I was I was slightly excited to see if this is a guy who could actually play, you know, 10, 12 minutes a game down the stretch here as Kings try to limit you know, offensive guards, like guards and small forwards that, that have size. And this is the exact type of game, or that was the exact type of game where you need somebody like Kessler Edwards. I mean, ideally a little bit more proven and better, but Anthony Edwards is in my mind, the type of offensive player that the Kings don't really have a great answer for the first two times these team matched up. It was Harrison Barnes that was assigned to him. And we saw that again at the beginning of the game yesterday. Um, and that didn't go great. Obviously Anthony Edwards was, was really rolling as you pointed out early there but there's a lot of big wings in this league and I think that Anthony Edwards kind of fits that specifically in the Western Conference it's something that Mike Brown has has pointed out I mean every every night especially when you get into the postseason you're going to play one of these type of guys and maybe the Kings have some okay guard defenders like Davion Mitchell obviously De'Aaron Fox I think when he locks in but Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray are kind of up and down on the defensive end and if, if they're not on, who are you putting on Anthony Edwards? Who are you putting on Kevin Durant, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard? Like there's, you could go up and down the Western Conference and there's always seemingly one of these wings or larger Luka. guard players, a Luka, yeah. Yeah. Um, that the Kings are going to need to find a way to stop. And as of last night, it feels like maybe Kessler Edwards is a direction you're going to need to look towards when you're playing those type of players. Yeah, it's funny because Mike Brown has brought this up when we we talk about PJ Dozier. He always brings up that PJ Dozier has um, he has playoff experience, and my first thought is, well, why would PJ Dozier possibly play in the playoffs? And I was like, well, because you can't stop certain guys. Like everyone knows that you can't. This team cannot stop certain players, certain player types, and and I'll even say that I think Kessler Edwards. Uh, like whether he's on the roster next season or the season after that, what we're looking at is a player archetype that the Kings need. It's what we talked about going into the trade deadline. This team needs a long athletic wing defender. And it and Casey Akpala, unfortunately for him, he wasn't good enough. And he wasn't good enough to like to earn minutes. And that's it is what it is. Like if if you can't play more than three or four minutes, uh, and Mike Brown doesn't want to give you more than that whether he's good enough to play more than that or not it, it is it's not for us to decide it's it's for Mike Brown to decide he's the guy who has coaching experience he's the guy that knows you know whether that guy fits what he's trying to do or not and at the end of the day you could see that they kind of lost faith in uh Casey as as sort of an option i don't think as a player like they still wanted to develop him as a 23 year old but he started having knee problems and then needed knee surgery and they're just like, okay, we got to pull the plug. But even before that, they had sent him to the G League. They had started to go away from him as an option at all. And uh, now we're seeing just a different type of player. But like, it's an archetype. The Kings have to have this moving forward. They have to have a six foot eight, six foot. They to be honest, they need like three of them. That's that's the way the NBA is now. Like when you're going up against a team like Minnesota, or you're going up against a team uh, like the Clippers. Like, back-to-back these two back-to-back games it it just shines like a giant bright light on the thing that you've been missing this entire season and the thing that the kings did not address and will have to address this offseason 
And I, I think, you know, like we'll have more conversations here about the way that this roster is going to be constructed moving forward. But everyone loves Keegan Murray and sees the potential and you see where he can be. Everyone loves Harrison Barnes and the potential of what he can be. Even Trey Lyles, you people have like, he's played so far above his contract at this point that you would love to see him back. And then we got Sasha Vazenkov. Okay, not one of those guys is six foot eight, six foot nine with a seven foot three wingspan that can defend like multiple positions or can block a shot. So what are you going to do? Like, how do you bring all those guys back and think that you're going to be better and, and and prove that you can be better? And so I think that it's uh, it's definitely an interesting point of the roster construction that the Kings are going to face moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny to me that I can sit and say like I'm a little envious of the Brooklyn Nets at this point because they have like eight of those guys somehow they don't exactly yeah, have or the Raptors. other creators right yeah. Um, but yeah I mean I think ideally long term that Keegan Murray can develop a bit more on the defensive end I think as he gets more accustomed in the NBA like he's the one they're putting on Paul George and I thought that he had some okay moments in that Clippers game but I was really surprised by yesterday's game with Keegan you know usually when he has off nights I don't feel like he's actively hurting you when he's out there but last night was probably the worst showing we've seen from Keegan unless there's another game slipping my mind but he played less than 20 minutes which that in itself is very telling and I thought that also he was a part of that shortcoming when it came to helping the helper and securing rebounds and just just weak side rim protection he, he had three boards himself in those 20 minutes um, zero points but were, were you surprised by just the performance of Keegan Murray yesterday? Um, I'm going to say, yeah. Am I surprised uh, that it was that bad? Sure. Like, do you expect somebody to have that kind of poor showing? Um, but he's a rookie, and rookies have these games. That's It is what it is. Like, you're relying on a rookie to play what is he at now i haven't even looked is he at 28 minutes a game on the season um whatever it is i mean he's playing a ton of minutes on the third seed in the western conference as a rookie and so yeah you're gonna have to deal with the times where he has like uh he's at 29.7 minutes on the season where where it's just not gonna work out and i i think the fact that he's still shooting 41.3 percent from three uh, you would like his rebounding numbers to be higher, but they have improved. He's up to 4.6 a game. He's he's a little under 12 points a game. You like to see that. But I think what we're seeing is over the course of the last couple of weeks, him expanding his game and showing more and more and more. But he just entered like his third NBA season, uh, his third college season in his, in his rookie season. So like this is a, one of the guys that there are going to be nights where he's great and there are going to be other nights where he just doesn't have it, and the Kings need to have options for that, which I think is good why Kessler stepped up, uh, and they, they're going to continue to need that. Somebody's going to have to step up, and and like you bring up Keegan, I'll, for every much that we can like bang on King, Keegan for that game, I'll tell you that Malik Monk over the last three or four games, he's been bad, I, flat out. Like He put up 45, and then 15, and then like 8, and then 6 and then four and it keeps going down and like he's shooting his shooting numbers are shooting 10 percent from three over his last three games shooting 26 percent, like something like that from the field like 
this is that moment where the Kings are being tested. They won the five straight, and that hid, I think, a lot of the problems that were starting to to show up, whether it's like the in- inconsistency of specific players or it's the uh, the inconsistency on the defensive end the or the defensive numbers tracking downward so greatly. It gets hidden because you've won five straight. But now it's like, okay, they lost one, so we can go back and sort of digest what we saw and, and sort of piece it together. For sure. And in the Keegan game yesterday, it doesn't bring up any new concerns for me with Keegan long term or anything, just more so specifically pointing out that I I thought that he didn't have a great showing in that one. Like I said, he was solid in the game prior Um, for Malik. I I think that the playmaking has still been there and he hasn't been too turnover prone. I thought like in that Clippers game specifically, they went to him actually in place of Keegan at the end because the Clippers were just doubling De'Aaron Fox as soon as he crossed half court. So you needed a little bit more secondary playmaking and they went to Malik there, but the shot's not falling, and he's obviously not an impact player on the defensive end. He's actually a negative on that end more often than not. Both him and Herter are kind of guys that the other team will look at and just be hunting. Um, but, you know, you you need more from some of these surrounding pieces if you're going to pull out games against these other teams that you're really competing with in the playoff race in the Western Conference. And I, I think it's a good example that we've seen recently of playing this Clippers team, Minnesota, you're going to see New Orleans tomorrow, um, where these are our potential first round matchups. And I, I think it is letting us learn a lot about this team and get a little sneak peek of what some of the shortcomings could be come playoff time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you know what? Uh, Meg had a, a comment here in um, in our chat. Uh, here it is. Um, they are uh, prioritizing the paint over perimeter and rim anyway, I think. Um, Brennan, that's something that, I mean, they are prioritizing uh, protecting the paint and I think more specifically protecting Demonis Sabonis. Like that, that's, I think that's what people forget. It's not just team scoring at the rim. It's Demonis picking up fouls. And we're once again in that cycle where he's, in foul trouble almost every single night. And that's almost like the first sign that the defense is failing. Like it's, it's the first red flag. Hey, the defense is, is struggling. Like, how do we know? Well, because Sabonis has fouled out in three of the last seven games or something. And he's got five fouls in a couple of games. And, and that's sort of, to me, it's like the flashing red light saying, uh, we got a problem starting. And this team does have this, uh, their identity is to keep people out of the middle to keep them off of Sabonis so he stops picking up fouls. Uh, and they're not doing it. That's that's the problem. That's why we're seeing the defensive rating skyrocket. Uh, and, you know, eventually we'll see the offensive rating go down because when Sabonis steps off the, the court, you're not nearly as good on the offensive end. So, uh, like that, Meg, you bring that up. And, I mean, sure, the Kings have given up a ton of three-point shots, right? Some of those are just good shots. Some of those are like because the Kings are trying to protect the paint, though. And I think that that's what they've been. There will come a point where they have better defensive players or they understand the scheme better, and they're able to have that more, uh, like, balance out a little bit more. But, Brennan, you're a guy who watches the tape all the time. What are you seeing that's causing some of this? Yeah, I think what you pointed out there, one of their defensive staples being no middle, I I think it's important for people to keep in mind, like, when they see – 
players seemingly getting blown by on the perimeter, a lot of times it's, well, they were just making sure they don't get to the middle and then you're funneling into Sabonis. And this is why it's always talked about specifically in this sort of defensive scheme, that defense is a five-man unit. It's on everyone. And, and I really think that when Sabonis is getting engaged, that player that is on the weak side needs to come in and help the helper there. And if that's a Malik Monk or Kevin Herter, to be honest, they, they kind of struggle in that aspect. Um, and I, I think the Minnesota is a decent example of asked Mike Brown a little bit about kind of their physicality on defense in pregame. And he pointed out how they're allowed to have that ridiculous ball pressure because they have a rim protector behind them in Rudy Gobert. And Sacramento doesn't really have that. So I think that while ball pressure is another one of their five defensive staples, that if you don't have that typical rim protection, you are forced to just kind of play on a string defensively and everybody needs to be tied on their rotations. And if one person has a shortcoming, everything could totally collapse. And it's not one person every single possession, but it just takes one each time. And even if it's alternating, that leads to poor defensive possessions. And I, I think the real concerning thing for me in these last two games, and again, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer. They won five of their last six. Like, yep. I think Mike Brown unintentionally already kind of laid out the excuses for this loss in pregame or maybe it was postgame in that Lakers one um, where he got asked I think it was a second OKC game he wanted them to be greedy that they had they could have had plenty of excuses that people would write off why they would have been totally fine losing that game and he felt the same way going into the Minnesota game but he wanted to be greedy and come out and get a win but you know reality is second night of a back-to-back you just won your last five games coming out of the all-star break um, so they'd they'd been playing well um, so I don't want to sound like a super Debbie Downer here or anything, but there are, it's just the same defensive shortcomings because in these six games post all-star break, they're 129 in offensive rating, which is top of the league in that time. And 129 is ridiculous, but their defensive rating is sitting at 123, which is only ahead of the Portland trailblazers and the Houston Rockets in that stretch. So I, I really do think that that significantly needs to, to be cleaned up and, there's nights where you can just get away with it offensively, but I had come into these games really thinking that, or I, I specifically had a focus on their fourth quarter defense. I, I think coming into that Clippers game, they were seventh or eighth in fourth quarter defense, even though they were 25th in the, on the year. And you didn't even see that in these ones. You know, they, they weren't necessarily locking up when they needed to. Even if you look at that Clippers game, they were forced to go to so much zone because they had no answer for Russell Westbrook. So I, I think that these sort of games where you see Mike Brown searching just bring up a little bit of concerns. But they are playing well recently, and I, I don't want last night's loss to kind of overshadow that. Yeah, and I'll also say, like, I didn't feel like Mike Brown was searching on Friday night, but on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, whether Minnesota, like, we always get this whole thing. Well, Minnesota's playing on the second night of a back-to-back -back as well. First of all, the Kings never play... Like, when their opponent is on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, they lose almost every single time. The Kings do. I don't know what the problem is, but they can't beat teams when they're on the second night of a back-to-back. -back. I don't, like, I'd have to look it up what the record is in the on the season, but I think it's like one and six or something. It's it's not good. Um, so that's one thing. But I'll also point out that the Kings are always concerned about themselves, not about their opponent. That's That's... Like, their goals are to get better as a team and to focus on themselves. 
and to complete, you know, to work through some of these things. And so that's when I look at a game like the the back to back on Friday and Saturday, and Mike is searching in the first game. In the second game, I mean, in the first game he's not searching. In the second game he's searching because like they've run out of gas. It, Fox wasn't as nearly as impactful as a player as he has been uh, for the last you know, I don't know, six weeks, who's, he's been, just been incredible. Uh, and then they had other guys who were, were failing to step up. Even, you know, I'll bring up Kevin Herter. Herter goes for 29 points. Ridiculous, right? He he looked like, and, and we saw it on Friday night too. That's when we started to see, like, maybe for the first time this season, or at least the first time since, like, the first month of the season, we saw the whole cave on thing, where all of a sudden he's, like, he he skips straight to plaid and he's hitting every, that's a reference, Brendan, so just so you know, to Spaceballs, um, Spaceballs, the movie. Uh, anyway, he, he just starts hitting everything in the second quarter and he looks like this incredible, like lightning bolt. And you're like, what in the world is happening? And then we get to Saturday and historically Kevin Herter has been absolutely horrible on the second night of back to backs this season. Um, it's not good at all. He's shooting his shooting numbers. Everything are so far down. Uh, I even have his splits right here on the second night of a back to back on zero days rest Herter on the season. Um, well, right now he's shooting 37. He had a, he had a good night, but um, typically this season, he's not been good on the second night of a back to back. He was spectacular, but Mike Brown brought up something in post game, which I think needs to be added to as well. Like, Kevin Herter didn't rebound and and neither did a couple of his teammates and you can't just walk into a, a game and think that you're just going to score so 29 points two assists zero rebounds for Kevin Herter the night before 18 points zero assists zero rebounds so in the last two games he's failed to register a rebound even if he's averaging you know I don't know what is it 20 25 a game or 23 a game uh, it doesn't matter. Like if you're not filling out those other things, then you're not helping the team fully. And uh, I think the Kings more than anything else, they lost because they couldn't get an offensive rebound, three straight possessions and allowed a dunk by the, the Timberwolves. Yeah, that definitely was an issue. And I think it's telling that when I asked coach Brown a few games ago, sort of, he, he really had talked to Keegan earlier in the year and shared with us that, you know, when you're not shooting the ball, well, what else do you do? And I kind of presented that same question from the perspective of Kevin. And I thought it was a little telling that he did kind of point towards more shooting things. He, he was like, you know, he's a good mid-range shooter and he's a decent finisher around the rim. And there wasn't much after that. And I, I think he actually is a decent playmaker as well, just a sort of connecting piece. But Herder yeah. needs to find ways that when the shot isn't going down, and it was going down yesterday, I think he had 13 or more just in that third quarter alone. He was a very big reason they were able to kind of get back in that game because mm -hmm. there, there's been, I think, two games in a row now where he just has this amazing stretch for half a quarter where he's just totally on fire. Um, so he's been great in that aspect, but I think that the possessions where maybe he's not getting shots up, he's just got to find more ways to impact the game, and, he, and he's got to be a better player defensively. I, I think it's just doing the little things, you know, coach Brown talked about how hard it is to do the little things for 48 minutes, but that's what championship teams do. And obviously the Kings are on a championship team now, and maybe that's part of the reason there's, there's a handful, but that's part of it. And just finding more ways to impact the game 
outside of shooting, I, I think is an important thing that applies to a lot of these different players on Sacramento's roster. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't want to like, again, we can single out players all we want. Like two games ago, uh, well, the the second OKC game, Herter had 20 points and nine assists. So it's not like we're pointing out that he's just bad at these things all the time. Um, but And, you know, coming into today, we're like, I, I kind of set this up. We're going to discuss. Why do you think it is that Herter and Monk can't have a, a, a good game together? Like, I know that they, they take turns, and uh, Mike Brown really does ride the, the hot hand, and we're not seeing a lot of three-guard sets with Kevin Herter at the small forward spot, which I think is very strange. Like, I thought that we would see a lot more of that, but we haven't. Um, and it, it feels like either one of them is great or the other one is great. And, like, the last three games, Herter offensively has just been, you know, spectacular. Uh, 20... The last three games, 20, 18, and 29. So, again, he's averaging 22.3 points. He's shooting 65.8% from the field and 57.9% from three. At the same time, in those three games, Malik Monk is... This this is not good. I I don't even want to read these stats. Malik Monk in the last three games. So, he had 45 points, and then he had 12. And in the 12-point game, he he was four or five from three. In the three games since those two games, 6.3 points, shooting 25% from the field, and 10% uh, 10 from three in three games. And, I mean, it's a super small sample size, but it pairs up perfectly with the Kevin Herter sample size. Like, you look at him and you're like, okay, why are we doing this the entire season where one of you is good and the other one isn't, and then you guys switch roles all the time? Yeah, I think Meg in the chat has a decent point. Like she asked, is it a hot hand? They kind of just feed the guy who starts making shots. And I think that you see that a bit. I mean, obviously the offense is going to run through Fox and Sabonis. And I think that if one of these other guys is rolling, that you can't kind of try to keep them involved. But I don't know why they can't exactly do it on the same night. Um, I think they can, but they more so haven't. It's, to me, I think kind of just the nature of these players. I think it's part of the reason why Kevin Herter was obtainable. Obviously, Atlanta also had a little bit of a roster log jam and, and salary issues there, but Malik Monk was a two-year, $19 million contract. Like These aren't stars. They're offensive players who space the floor, and every once in a while are going to have nights where they're phenomenal offensively, but with the nature of being those type of players, you're going to have up-and-down nights. And I, I think it's kind of just the reality of how these players are that sometimes they're going to be a bit up and down but to more specifically your question i genuinely have no clue why it doesn't happen on the same night best theory i have is kind of what meg pointed out that if one of these guys is going that they're making sure that they are getting set up specifically and therefore maybe the other guy is a little bit less involved in the offense yeah i'm gonna guess too that if we look and we really dive into it that we kind of have a similar situation with uh, Keegan Murray and Harrison Barnes. Like maybe there's more crossover 20 point games for those three guys, uh, for those two guys. Um, but I think there are also a lot of games where we see that if Keegan is going, then Harrison Barnes kind of takes a step back. And if Harrison is going, there's a lot of times where Keegan kind of takes a step back. Actually, Harrison Barnes has been really good the last four, uh, three games. I mean, he's been he's averaging you know 20 22 a game 
Um, I, you know, it's funny. Everyone on this team feels like they can average 22 a game because, number one, the Kings score that much. Number two, because you have to, uh, because you are you can't put anyone away because you don't play any defense. So it, it does feel like, huh, I didn't know that that guy's averaged 20-something a game the last three. But when you're putting up 130 points a night, like somebody's going to have to score. Even like the Trey Day, like Trey Lyles, like – and he just like steps up and he has these huge moments in games. And, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit with, you know, how are you going to piece this roster together going forward? Is Trey part of that? And he's been so huge for the Kings this year. Like outside of, outside of their top five guys, I would say that Trey probably has more games where he impacts the winning, even than Davion and Malik, in my opinion. Uh, maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe Malik has one or two more games than than trey but you still run into this issue of like how are you going to piece these things together after this you still need a shot blocker you still need unless you shift trey to the five and maybe that's how they do with some of this but uh you still need those those items that that are on the list and um i don't know i like what are your thoughts on trey and how does he fit i think that trey has become a pretty important member of this team a lot more important than what i would have assumed coming into the year and after what we saw during the post all-star break that or um, post trade deadline that he spent in Sacramento last year, um, which I do give a lot of credit to Mike Brown, I, I will say, and Trey Lyles, obviously, but I think that the pump fakes going away, him becoming a better rebounder, like those were specific things that Mike Brown challenged him on that I think have really helped his game. But it's to the point where like yesterday I'm, we're sitting there with a couple of the media guys and we're talking about like, I really think Trey needs to be back next year. You know, and he also has his defensive shortcomings. So if you can find a player who can still supply for you offensively, but maybe is a better defender, it's not like you've 1,000% Trey needs to be here. If, if you can get an upgrade, I, I think that that's reasonable, but he's become an important piece. He was the best option at backup five last night, and that's been the case a couple times this year. They also did it the second time that these teams played in Minnesota, and coach mentioned specifically when it comes to Rudy Gobert, like, and Trey being out there as the five that if you want to feed Rudy Gobert and have him ISO post-ups, sure, we're fine with that. And then on the offensive end, Trey Lyles helps pull the rim protection Rudy Gobert, and that would fit other player archetypes as well on other various teams. It pulls him out the paint and really helps, obviously, Fox and Domas go to work in the paint and, and some of their split actions and things like that. So... I think that Trey has become a really important part of this team as the you know, seventh, eighth guy on this roster because he, he's a great connector on offense. I think that he's a really good rebounder and he doesn't necessarily pop off the page in a bad way to me defensively either. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I was I was thinking like how like per 36, like Mike Brown is going to the starters a lot. His, so like your bench players, your Davion's averaging like 18 minutes, Monk's averaging like 22 minutes, and, and then Trey is averaging around 16 minutes a game. His per 36 minutes are almost identical to every other season of his career, like 16.8 and 8.4. So I go back to like his two stops last season, uh, 18.4 points, 8.9 rebounds. Um, almost every stage of his career, it's kind of the same thing. He's steady. The one thing that Mike did bring up that 
that he's I, I think he's really helped Trey with is the the pump fakes. So this year, you know, Trey's shooting thirty seven point seven percent from three. He really is giving you that other like the big that can space the floor that the Kings need. And you could look at Trey, I guess, as a player archetype. Uh, but he's also like super soft spoken, super bright. Um, like his post game last was it last night that we had Trey for post game? Oh yeah, yeah. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He's straightforward. He's honest. Uh, like, and it's at times brutally. Like we were terrible, terrible defensively, and it's something that we're just getting worse at. And it's so for me. Like I like having Trey Lyles around. I, I don't think you can get him back at two point six million dollars per year like he is this year. I don't know why he he signed a. I mean, I, I guess it's the dynamics of the NBA. There there isn't that much money for guys that are around. Trey's skill level but you still would have thought he could have got more than like a two-year five million dollar deal which is what he's playing on I don't think he's an eight million dollar a year player but at today's NBA market you would at least think a four to five million dollar a year player and just by watching him every night and I was talking to John Dickinson who covers the Warriors I was talking to him last night he's like you know how much the Warriors could use a guy like that a guy that just does everything well he's not spectacular in any fashion but he doesn't make mistakes he doesn't cost you ball games he he knows how to rebound he knows how to shoot the three he knows how to pass he knows how to do all these things and and he's not a me 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 guy he's not asking for it you know he plays a little bit of physicality he hits somebody every once in a while in the chest you know i think he's a a guy that i i would like to see back next year but you know we're gonna have to see what happens um, yeah, the number I had kind of settled on because I was having this conversation with a couple of the media guys yesterday was like 215. I, I think that that would be well, totally fine for me with Trey. It It is a lot. Like I was more so talking the higher number that I'd be willing to offer. Like, And I, I think that Trey is sort of that type of value in the league. The salary cap's supposed to go up a bit. Um, so I, I think that there is going to be an interesting conversation come postseason of – the Trey Lyles conversation, a little bit of a Terrence Davis conversation. What's Terrence Davis, by the way, has been pretty bad these last two games. Co coach has given him opportunities early. And then there's, if there's more than one defensive lapse within a couple possessions, it's like to the bench. And we probably won't see you again for the rest of the game. And that's what happened in both of these games. In the Timberwolves game, he played six minutes. He played seven minutes in that game against the Clippers had a couple possessions where he kind of got cooked defensively and, and that was the end of Terrence Davis. But I, it's going to eventually be some interesting conversations with some of these guys at the end of the bench. Yeah. See, I'm looking at Trey. Like I know that's, I think that number's high. I think you can get Trey. So the NBA is kind of weird this way. When a player uh, decides what, well, when they take less money, it's really hard for them to go back up in salary. So when a guy goes from being a five million or or even say that's it's why a lot of players and a lot of agents don't want their players bought out at the deadline, right? Because if you get bought out at the deadline and you go sign a minimum deal to finish the year, it's really, really hard to become a a player who gets a regular contract, a big contract again. Like you don't often see it. And so I think Trey's probably gonna play at about the same exact money. His last year was a two-year, $5 million deal. I think he's going to be biannual exception money, the, the two-year four-point-something 
it might work out at well four point per year. It might be like a two year eight, a two year nine, and that's what he'll play for. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think everyone gets in the mode of overvaluing the players. And, and I'll bring up one player very specifically. Like Kings fans freaked out when Harry Giles didn't get his two point whatever million dollar contract. I think it was right at three million for his uh his fourth year, right? And then everyone was, oh man, you know, you it would have been such a deal. He's clearly going to get six or seven million dollars a year. He got a league minimum deal. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein, league minimum deal. He wanted to get paid. He got league minimum deal, or maybe a two year, three uh, two year, six million dollar deal. Something really, really low. Um, they're just when you're that in that range of player, when you are an eight through ten in a rotation. I, you just don't get paid. And so, I don't know. I, I think it's a it's a good conversation, but I would say the same thing about, like, what do you think Terrence Davis is going to get in free agency? 24 years old? 24, 25? Like, he's up and down? Yeah. I'd League probably minimum. be more... Yeah, I'd, I'd pay Trey more than Terrence Davis at this point. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, still, I think he's a league minimum player, most likely. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I'll also like I, I could write a piece one day on how many players have left Sacramento and ever got paid, ever got a even. I mean, this is for like historically, it's your last stop in the league. For so many guys, I mean, I could go through a ton of guys who this was the last place they played, and certainly the last place they they got paid any substantial money at all, and then they don't go on to have like make a bunch of money in other spots so it's kind of weird um yeah and brad James. uh yeah <laughs> uh brad you bring up a good point here um keon is going to take td spot uh that that's probably a good point like keon ellis is is getting closer and closer and closer to ready what is what is he uh shooting i know you've got the tattoo so i'll ask you the stat uh <laughs> what is he shooting from three-point range on the season at, at the g league level 42.9% on four a game. And I actually got to go down there the other day and talk to him and Bobby. And Bobby was saying he wants him to shoot eight threes a game. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be writing on that and, and I'll have something on it tomorrow. But I, I do think that Keon's been playing really well. I think the big development for him recently is, has kind of been the playmaking. That was something that coming out of Alabama, he was not great at. I forget which one was a little higher, but his assistant turnovers were totals during his time at Alabama were neck and neck with each other but i think yeah. he's developed as a playmaker and obviously he has that um sort of defensive disruption ability but as much as i am uh optimistic or hopeful about keon i don't think that if you're going into next year betting on keon ellis that that's a great strategy i think next season keon ellis can be your fifth guard that's fine like a fifth yeah yeah, yeah i think he can be your fifth guard He's a guy that can come in and give you minutes, especially if you have injuries and stuff. I I, I don't think that they think I, – I think they're probably there with him. Um, you know, maybe we're wrong, but, like, I don't hear – there's not a bunch of chatter about him. Um, it's funny. I, I didn't expect this this podcast in particular. Um, and if you are uh, – we'll just reset. If you are watching, uh, thanks for joining us here on the live show on the King's Beat podcast. Uh, if you don't mind, give us a thumbs up. That would help us. Uh, and then uh, subscribe to the channel if you get a chance. Um, but uh, I didn't expect this to like go into like a weird contract 
uh, conversation, but even, you know, Bryce is bringing up, you know, the Harrison Barnes potential, like what, what would you do for Harrison Barnes? And I've been very clear. Like, I think Harrison Barnes is still a really good player. I think he's still, um, he's got a lot of basketball in him. Uh, and he's also a player that really does like he, he has so many roles that people don't know about behind the scenes, um, that I would be willing to go like three year 48 or three year 45, but have it be a declining scale contract. So a three year 48 would look like, uh, like 17, 16, 15 or a three year 45, I'd go 16, 15, 14. Um, does that seem, do you think he'll get more than that? I think that he could. Um, the team that stood out to me all year for HB is is Cleveland. I think that what got pointed out to me is one of the underrated aspects of their move for Donovan Mitchell is they actually cleared up cap space. And the three is the specific position that they need. And uh, I, also when talking to Cleveland people, they always like to throw the joke that HB already helped them win one championship. So Ouch. why not do another? <laughs> um, but I, I think that HB could get a little bit more than that, but I would be thrilled at that sort of contract. And, you know, James, I, you were having, you and I were having some conversations yesterday and it got pointed out and, and we've seen this, but to hear it is just echoed it stands out the importance of the mix of personalities that they have on this team and how good just that chemistry is and Harrison Barnes as a part of that can't be understated. Mike Brown has talked about that endlessly. And so have all the players, like this is a guy that is the most veteran on this team when it comes to postseason experience that is at least playing consistently. And I think that his sort of even keeled mindset and seemingly good communication is just another layer that I think is really important and people can overlook if they aren't paying attention to those close details. He's obviously still an impact player on the court, but there's a lot of off-court value that comes with Harrison Barnes as well. Yeah. And I think that there, there are going to be really good playoff teams that look at Harrison Barnes as like a, an option that could help them get over the top. And, and so that's where, you know, like, can he go back to the Warriors? Probably not. The Warriors don't have any money. Um, but, uh, you know, there are other teams that he just makes a ton of sense for. And I'll also say this, too. He's not just a good citizen and, like, a good teammate, but he's a guy that, like, if you get to the point where Keegan Murray is, like, really, really good and Keegan Murray is taking over and has become you know, sort of the guy outside of Fox and Sabonis that Harrison Barnes won't have a huge problem with allowing that to be the case. Like he's not going to be clinging to who, you know, to 15 points a game because he has to score 15 a game or something. Um, and I think there's also a point where if you were to find the other guy that the Kings are missing, that we keep talking about this, you know, this mystical unicorn that the Kings can't seem to find the six foot eight, six foot nine defensive minded, you know, shot blocking presence that maybe can rebound a little bit and hit the three ball a little bit and complement, you know, this team and the roster and, and increase your defensive acumen. I don't think Harrison is a guy that, you know, maybe not next year, but the year after, would he come off the bench? I think he would. I think he'd be a guy that like wouldn't, as long as he's getting his 26 to 30 minutes a game and he's prolonging his career, 
I don't think he'd have a problem being whatever you need him to be, especially since he kind of grew up with Andre Iguodala as one of those mentors and role players that he was around. And I could see him, I mean, he's clearly not the Iguodala-type defender, but Iguodala is also not the offensive weapon that Harrison Barnes has been throughout his career. I could see him being a guy that, like, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to I'm gonna usher in the next version of who this team is, and you know, I'm going to be here as whatever role that fits as long as I'm playing and I'm part of what's happening. I don't think he's going to be a problem. So uh, anyway, I, I, that's just my opinion on him. Um, I totally agree with you, and I, I think another aspect is just Keegan Murray. You know, they're both Iowa guys, and they seem to have a decent relationship there, but like they're very similar types of players. And I think Keegan getting to have Harrison as somebody that he can bounce things off of. Um, like you mentioned, if Keegan's playing great and, and HB needs to take a step back, I think he'd be willing to do that. I also think if Keegan goes through a, a slump, that Harrison would be one of the people that is in his ear, kind of making sure that he stays right mentally and, and telling him the right things to focus on. So I, I think that's another aspect of like, you want Keegan Murray to become a Harrison Barnes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring this up too. Uh, Michigan Wolverines, uh, I'm not sure... Uh, you know who this is but he's invested a lot in this community and the reason I, I put this up there I'm just going to tell you that um as far as like players who give back uh there isn't any that are better than Harrison Barnes he's given back so much to Ames Iowa it's crazy like he grew up in the boys and girls club uh his mom and you know had him and his sister at the boys and girls club all day long every day after school programs everything else actually their story is amazing his mom had a business where she would uh, basically get suits and, and dress wear for people who were looking for a job and she would help them get dressed for job interviews basically through a consignment store type deal. Um, and just like they're, they're great people, but also he goes to Dallas. He does the same exact thing in Dallas. Like he gives back still in Dallas so heavily from his time there to the boys and girls club, but also he has, uh, a program where he uh, there's a, an app for saving for a savings uh, account for children and low income areas, and he's basically teaching young kids in low income areas how to save and how to manage their money from like very young ages. Uh, he does that as well in Sacramento, uh, and then his wife's family, his wife Brittany, they're from this area. They're from the Bay Area. And uh, they have, you know, a ton of ties because of his Warriors ties, but also that's where she's from. She actually graduated from her grad school. Uh, she went to North Carolina, but finished grad school at Berkeley. And um, going into the pandemic, unfortunately for them, they were in the middle of opening a salon in Oakland. Uh, and I'm not sure whatever happened with that. It, maybe it's thriving. I, I have no idea. I haven't checked in on that, but, uh, I'm assuming like during the pandemic stuff, it was pretty brutal. Um, but they have a ton of ties here. So whether it's, I, I don't think Harrison Barnes is picking up and leaving his, uh, wife and, and little girl to go play in Cleveland. Now, would he like consider LA would he, you know, a couple of teams there. would he go back to the world? Like there are other options, but like at a certain point, like this guy's made a lot of money and uh, he's called the Senator around uh, or Congressman Barnes. Uh, he's a guy that like, he's a smart 
dude who has made his money work for him out off the court. And uh, so I, his decisions are going to be about what, what is the best fit for him. Um, again, I didn't expect this, right, to to go into like a weird contra- and contractual thing. What would you give up? What, what would be your price range? Well, real quick before I, I drop okay. a number on you, I, I think that another guy that you hear a lot of great stories about when it comes to personality, obviously having an encore production, but community work and stuff is, is Mike Conley. And you just saw the importance of having one of those type of guys and the importance of chemistry. I don't, I don't know that Kings fans necessarily forget what it's like to have a, a bad sort of vibe around your team and maybe guys wanting to do a little bit too much, but like, you know, D'Angelo Russell is a better player than Mike Conley. But I, I guess I got told some crazy stories yesterday about about D'Lo. But it, that trade is a lot to do with chemistry and getting a good leader and connector, not just on the court, but off around that team. And they've gone on this West Coast road trip and got three really big wins against the Clippers, Lakers, and now the Kings. So I think that's a good example of just how important all that type of stuff is. But when it comes to the number for HB, I think – if you can get a declining deal, uh, Ken Cantonella, especially, even though Ken's not around anymore um, on HB. And, you know, even if you had to start it at 22 and it goes down to 18, like, I don't know that I like am letting him walk. Like it, it's so hard to, in these conversations to actually pick the number of like, if it goes above X, I just letting him walk because if HB leaves, what's your replacement? You know, so I don't know that I'm like, that's not my initial offer or anything, but I think it's pretty close to 20 million over like a three year sort of thing. And ideally declining would be my number that is the total max. And after that, you probably have to walk away. Yeah, he makes eight, he makes 18.6 this season. And, and it's been a declining scale. His his contract extension was declining scale four years um, I think it was four years, 85 million, four years, 84, 85 million. It was 1 million less than what Buddy Hield got. Um, so whatever that is. And, uh, and so basically that contract, it has gone down every single year and I could see just the natural progression of it. Even if it's like 17, five, 16, five, 15, five, and you're paying him a, a three year 49 or something. Um, I, I still think that that's reasonable for who he is. And, we're talking about his 31, 32, and 33-year-old season. He's still going to be a very functional, solid NBA player at that point. And, you know, like you don't want to spend so much money that hampers other things that you can do. Um, you know, I'll bring this up too. Uh, Brett Huff, who is a friend of the show here, um, we were texting back and forth about something, and he brought up, he had heard something about uh, the potential for the new CBA to close one of the loopholes or to help out with one of the loopholes of the King's situation with Demonis Sabonis, right? Where they're about to go into a summer where you really, you would love to extend him like a massive, gigantic contract, but you can't because he's, uh, he's limited only to what is, I think it's 125% of his salary in, in year one, something like that. Um, so you can only go up to like $23 million or something. He's going to make so much money by opting out or not opting out by, by just waiting for his contract to expire. And the difference between what he can get then and what he can get if you try to extend next summer 
is in the hundreds of millions. It's like outlandish. But there, uh, I, uh, there's been rumor. Um, this is where I bring get it back to Brett. He had mentioned that he had heard rumor that there was the possibility that they will allow players like Sabonis to sign for up to 150% of their previous salary uh, as a starting salary. And so that would actually, you know, bump his, his contract, which is, it's only like 18.6 million next season. Uh, maybe it's a little bit more than that. Maybe it's 19, but like Sabonis doesn't make any money. And that's a great thing. That's a great problem to have when you, you know, you have a player who is, is making less than their value, but when it comes to extending them, it becomes a huge problem because of all these salary cap issues. Um, and so I was looking at, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just panning down really quick. So I have, it's 19.4 for next season. So I think, again, the most you can offer him is, is in the low twenties. Uh, and that's just not going to get it done. But if it went up to a full, you know, 50% more, uh, 150% of his cap number now. So if he's making 19, that's, like a, you can go up another nine point five million on that number, and that would put it at like what twenty twenty nine million for a starting salary. Sabonis so would at least listen because it's a that would be twenty nine million and year one plus eight percent raises every year. And then if the Kings have salary cap money this summer, which they do, they could actually add a couple of million to the first year salary. So as opposed to him making 19.4 million next year, they could bump that up to say, I don't know, 24 million, which isn't even that much money. Like in NBA standards, if you have the cap space, you can bump up a player's salary. We just saw it with Miles Turner in, in Indiana, right? So if you go up to 24 million and then you sign his extension off of that and you have the ability to go to a full 150%, now you're talking about a starting salary in year one of a new contract extension at 36 million bucks. And that's something that I think Sabonis would listen to. So if you're doing a five-year deal, it'd be a five-year, like 210, $211 million contract. And that's, that's probably maybe even a little bit less than he's going to make. But with the, uh, the salary cap projected to go up a ton, he might just say, hey, no, we're, we're going to wait it out. Um, but you know, how many players have you seen blow out a knee or pull uh, pop an Achilles and all that stuff? And like, if you could, if you could guarantee you, yourself and your family, $211 million over the next five years, you'd probably listen. Probably listen, but I will say like, he's probably going to make all NBA and then correct me if I'm wrong, he becomes super max eligible, right? Like. And I think yeah. there's a notable difference at that point that might be hard to turn down. But of course, like you said, yeah. there's always injury concerns and like that, those numbers you're presenting are hard to not at least have a conversation about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he is probably going to be super max eligible, which is, uh, your super max means that you can, you can make up to 30% of the salary of your team salary cap. So if the salary cap goes up to 150 million, you're looking at like a starting salary of 45 million bucks. And then it goes up with the cap as opposed to some of the other deals. Yeah, it's it's a lot of money. A lot of money. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, 
I just think it's interesting to talk about and to mull over now because we don't have to worry about it for like this season. Uh, it, it probably won't be something that's like the Kings would offer him an extension this summer without any question, but it's, it would almost be disrespectful. Um, and they know that and they, they understand what he's, that he's likely going to have to become a free agent at the end of next season and then get his contract then um, just because of the NBA rules. Like the Kings, I would love to to keep him around long term, and they intend to keep him around long term. It's something that, you know you don't give up a potential star point guard in order to bring in a player like Sabonis and then let him walk after two years. That's not the point here. Um, anyway, uh, I I I think it's it's good food for thought that we've kind of touched base on. Um, we could talk about since uh, Sean isn't here, and it always upsets him when he talks about it. We could talk about Nerlens Noel not signing with the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> um, Damn, that's the real reason Sean's not here. He was just so disappointed that Noel went somewhere else. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he 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 got a little bitter. Uh, he doesn't like talking Nerlens Noel. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that did happen. Uh, Nerlens has signed somewhere else. Uh, we're at, we've passed the deadline, so um, if you're going to be playoff eligible, it has to – you had to be on a roster – uh, if you're a free agent, you had to be on a roster by uh, March 1st. So, like the Kings, uh, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna go out and, and bring someone else in at this point. At least, not that it doesn't seem like they're going to. Um, so, like guys like Alex Lynn, Delvadova will probably finish the season on the roster, unless the team decides to make some move to get some young player that's up and coming that they like, uh, and and make a move that way. Um, or convert one of their two ways to a roster player and sign someone else to a two-way contract to lock them in for next season, the year after that. Um, Question for you. Right. I'm listening. You guys didn't get De'Aaron in locker room, right? Because he no, was but really holding that hand yesterday. Yeah, we did not. We did not. Um, he got banged on the wrist pretty hard. I saw that. Uh, we did not get him. He... <laughs> He's, he's <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. Uh, so he uh, came in while we were getting Kevin Herter and grabbed his stuff and ran out the door before we could get him. Uh, I did, for those out there, I did uh, run into Rase in the hallway uh, and it got to meet Baby Rain. So he's a cute little dude, absolutely beautiful little guy. So um, I did get to meet the baby last night, which is, I love babies. I, yeah. <laughs> is what it is. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, do you have any factor caps for us today? I mean, it's only hmm. it's only two of us, but, you know, still. If you have anything to talk about, I can formulate some for half a sec. Uh, okay, that works. Uh, you formulate while I, you know, if again, if you're watching on the stream, um, give us a thumbs up. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, subscribe to the channel. That would be amazing. Uh, become a premium subscriber to the King's Beat. We're growing like crazy. Like, uh, I started adding into my six quick things, like the link to the King's Beat. And I guess people just didn't realize I did the King's Beat. And I, they just thought I was a, a guy on Twitter who sat there and tweeted out uh, <laughs> six quick thoughts in postgame. Um, but like, thanks to all the new subscribers, cause there's a ton of new subscribers to the King's beat, uh, but becomes premium subscriber. Uh, we are going to have a happy hour coming up. Um, the schedule is really, 
really crappy for our typical happy hour day, which is Thursday. Um, so I'm going to have to move it. There's a game almost every Thursday from here on. And uh, so I'm, I'm working on that and we'll figure that out um, very soon. Um, Sydney Dean, we're going to get to the John Morant situation in the business of basketball. Um, also, uh, like, uh, price picks, like thanks to price picks for jumping on board with the sponsorship, uh, to the King's beat. We don't do it here on the YouTube channel, but we do on the audio file and price picks is, is pretty cool. I'm having a great time and I'm really bad at it. Like price picks is fun. It, damn it's, John you know, Collins. It, yeah. Damn you, John <laughs> Collins shakes fist at John Collins. I mean, seriously, his, uh, his projection was 10.5 points. And like you, you finished with three, three points, John <laughs> Collins. Like what is wrong with you? Yeah. So I'm having a good time with, with the daily fantasy games. I haven't ever played daily fantasy before. Um, and it's cool. Like I, it, it's cool. So a uh, big shout out to prize picks for jumping on board with us here on the King's beat. It, it's pretty cool. Uh, Victor says he's uh, damn near addicted to it. I, I'll be honest, Victor. <laughs> I thought about it right before the game last night. Ooh, I could do another like a six pick, like a, a, a you know, I could go for like six players and like hit their projections, go above or below. I, I don't know. It, I was intrigued by it. I was. I didn't do it. Um, it you know, I, I actually have to win one of these nights in order, like, or it's like, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> uh, all right, you got factor cap for us. I do. So first one we'll start with is factor cap. Sacramento's defense will keep them out of the second round of the postseason. Hmm. So will they make it to round two? I think it's a coin flip, and I think it depends on who they play. Um, I, I don't know. Like this team is fun, man. They're they're proving us wrong. Like. You, th you think, oh, well, you know, their offense is going to have to be there in the in the playoffs. Like, this is the best offense in the history of the NBA. Let let that sink in. And it's not even close. A 118.5 offensive rating, like, it's not even close. Like, this is by far the best offense the NBA has ever seen at this point. Like, could they dip? Yeah, yeah, they could. But anyway, um, I'm going to say cap. I think the Kings in the first round, like it doesn't exclude them. They can still make it to the second round. What about you? It's a fact for me. I think they can make it to the second round, but I really am concerned that this level of defense is, is going to really come around to bite them. You know, I, I, I guess I do think of those Atlanta teams um, that, ironically also did have Kevin Herter that they were able to get a bit further, but I think that this Western, this Western conference is a lot more competitive in this first round than what the Eastern conference was at that time. Um, I'm pretty concerned about the defense and I, I worry that the offense could take a bit of a hit come the postseason, um, just with how opposing teams are going to be scouting them. But as you said, it's, legitimately the best offense of all time so i still think they'll be able to keep up i think it's going to be a competitive first round but i'm pretty worried about 
making it to round two, or I shouldn't say worried because making it to the first round, having a competitive series and getting knocked is still an extremely successful season for this team. Um, especially if you're going off what your expectations were coming into the season. But I think it's a fact. I, I think that this sort of defense is something that could end up getting you knocked out in round one. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, I think it can be a combination too, because like, look, the offense still has to be this good in the, in the playoffs for you to have a shot. And now you're taking a, a group of guys who a lot of, who haven't been there. Many of them haven't been there and you're going to expect them to hit pressure shots and pressure situations. And whether you go in and you like, I think the attitude of the team, if they come in with like, we got nothing to lose and we're just here playing, having a good time and on house money and we're going to ride the wave and try to light the beam as many times as possible. If that's one round, two rounds, three rounds, whatever it is, we're a okay. If you have that mentality and you come out without all that pressure, that's one thing, but a lot of these guys haven't been there. So the offense, that's when shots come up short or they're off by a millisecond and they pop out of the rim and, you know, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, so I, I think it could be the defense is, is not great and they lose because of defense. But I also think, you know, they're, they're going to have to be this good offensively if they have any shot and uh, just because of the defensive woes. So. Absolutely. And I don't know that in my mind, they do go into the playoffs with a little bit of expectations and pressure, just kind of being that third seed. Like I think there's going to be pressure to, prove these other teams wrong that I think are rightfully circling, circling the Kings as the matchup that they want to face. Like if, if the Kings have a bad showing in the first round of the playoffs, it's going to be right back to some of the old lazy narratives, to be honest, that have surrounded the team for a while. And I, I think that they're better than that. I don't think that'll be the case, but I, I do think there's a decent bit of pressure on these guys. Maybe not the same as the other teams quite around them or anything. Um, but I think they, a lot of people are thinking that this is just a regular season thing. And I guess I kind of fall into that until I'm proven otherwise. And hopefully I'm wrong. Um, second one I got for you, and this will lead us into our business of basketball, is that the Memphis Grizzlies will remain in the two seed fact or cap. And to go through, John Morant has a two game suspension that could get longer. Um, Steven Adams is still out. Dylan Brooks got suspended for one game, and anytime he gets another technical foul, he will be suspended for another game. And then Brandon Clark just had an Achilles injury and is out for the year. So factor cap, Mr. Ham, the Memphis Grizzlies, who are a game and a half above the Sacramento Kings, will remain in the two seed. That's cap. That team is is self-destructing. Um, and like, first of all, shout out to Brandon Clark, uh, Brandon Clark's parents live here. Well, his mom and stepdad, I believe live here in the lake, uh, and his, and his younger brother. Um, I don't know how that happened, but they do. Uh, and so whenever you go to a Kings Grizzlies game and you hear a bunch of people cheer every time Brandon Clark scores, it's because there's a group of people from the lake here that like 40 or 50 tickets that all come and like cheer for Brandon Clark. Uh, so really big bummer because man, he is a type of player that the Kings need desperately. That just mean, uh, athletic, defensive-minded, rebounding, shot-blocking, power forward that just goes in there and thumps people. Uh, even like Jared Vanderbilt, like kind of that, a little bit of that type of player. Uh, but I think the Kings could really use him. So 
I think that's a huge loss for them. And the fact that they still don't have Steven Adams back, and we don't know when Steven Adams is coming back, that's a huge loss too. They have not been good at all since Steven Adams walked uh, left. And um, so, yeah, I, they're, they're in a bad situation. And the Dylan Brooks saying it is what it is. Like, I, I think he'll, like, figure it out that he can't just keep doing this and, and getting technicals all the time. That's not going to be – like, I don't think it'll be a huge deal down the stretch. Like, what he might miss one more game, maybe two, if he's, he does something really stupid where he gets, you know – multiple games with technicals, but we even saw this with DeMarcus Cousins. Once you hit the 16 and you get the one-game suspension, you have to remember one-game suspension comes with, I think it's 130th of your salary uh, is what you lose for that. So I don't know what Dylan Brooks makes, but I can tell you that that probably cost him a couple of hundred thousand bucks, and you don't just give away a couple of hundred thousand bucks uh, multiple times in a season. So... The jaw situation, though, I think, you know, we're going to get to that. Uh, we're going to get to that actually right now. I, the one thing I do want to look at is how much Dylan Brooks makes and how much that costs Dylan Brooks. Uh, Dylan Brooks makes $11.4 So I don't know what what that breaks down to, but that's, that's not a good thing. That's a lot of money to lose. And if I'm Dylan Brooks, I'm not getting any more technicals because I don't want to lose more money. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, that's that's where I go with that. I think I have to go cap as well. I mean, we've seen the Grizzlies be good without jaw in years prior. Like, I do think it's important to not overlook like Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, some of the other guys on that team that I do think they have um, some decent depth that can fill in. But one of their biggest things was always chemistry. You know, you were always seeing these post game things where everybody's come into the post game interview and they're taken these great like almost defensive player of the game chain type pictures and things like this like the chemistry was such a big thing for memphis and i can't help but think these storylines in this really really tough week that they've had is is going to affect them so i'm gonna say cap as well i don't think they stick in the two i also don't know that i'm necessarily saying that that means the kings are the team that go into the two spot but it's it's definitely within the realm of possibility. Phoenix is is looking really good right away, actually. Yeah, Phoenix is looking good. Like if the Kings fall below Phoenix, I mean, number one, that sucks because that that's your uh, your division championship. Um, yeah, so I think the Kings are going to do everything they can. But at this point, we looked at it. What are they? Four games ahead of Phoenix uh, in the loss column. Um, I have no. They're three. Yeah, they're three, and the Warriors are four. Uh, games back in the lost column and the Warriors got Steph back today and I but again the Warriors have to prove that they can win on the road they're the one of the worst road teams we've ever they're seven and 23 on the road <laughs> uh, I mean that's shocking and when you look at again like the Kings have 19 games remaining right that's what we're looking at yeah 19 games some of these other teams have fewer so after today the Warriors have 17 games remaining um, and if they somehow lose today and they drop five back in the loss column with only 17 games to play, that means they have to be five games better than the Kings in the final, you know, that that's, that's a lot. And they have one game against each other, but still that's, that's really insurmountable. I'd say Minnesota at, at six games back in the loss column, I don't think they can catch the Kings. And no. they're they're down to 
16 games. Yeah, so basically if they go 16 and 0, the Kings would have to go 10 and 6 to finish the season for them to be in. So start doing the math. If the Kings go uh again like uh, I don't know. Let's say they go 11 and 8 to finish the season in their 19 games. Um is that where we're at? Uh so like in that situation, Minnesota could have two losses. They'd have to go fourteen and two. That's that's crazy. Not that's, gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. And yeah. so you can take Minnesota, you can take Dallas, you can take the Clippers, you can take Utah, New Orleans, put them all in the same exact bundle. They're basically they will not finish above the Kings. I think there are only three teams, I mean two teams below them that can finish above the team, the Kings, and that's the Suns and the Warriors. So every time the Warriors lose, it's like it should be a celebration for the Kings. Especially the Warriors are one of those teams that you know after today they're at 17 games left. They've they've got two less games than the Kings. Uh, they they play two more games than the Kings, so they have two less games left. Um, yeah, so that's gonna be really tough. As far as Memphis, though, like I think it's very possible they they fall to the three. It's and I think teams should be light, like that's the team you want to play because they're a hot mess right now. I mean, you probably want to play the Kings and as 1A and 1B is is Memphis in the first round. And if somehow yeah. they both make it through and you're the 2-3 and you get to play Memphis in the first round, uh, that will be one of the funnest matchups we'll see in a long, long time. That will be, that will be a good time. So, yeah. um, okay, let's get to the business of basketball. Um, what are you doing, John Morant? What are you doing, John Morant? Like we have, I have so many issues with this. Um, like, first of all, like the culture of that team, uh, has been in question all season. Like there's no question. The culture of that team has, has been in question. It started last year, but we're starting to see it become more and more and more of an issue where this is a team that's, that's John at everybody. This is like no pun intended. This is a team that's like that that's been causing sort of some rifts like on the court, off the court, all that stuff. But all of a sudden, like this has become a really, really bad situation for the NBA. And uh, I don't know what the NBA is going to do here. Um, the Grizzlies tried to get out in front of this situation. And, and in case you have no idea what I'm talking about, John Morant, uh, like went what they're in LA, right? Is that where they were? They were somewhere on the West Coast, yeah. Yeah. So uh, John Morant went out to a uh, a strip club, um, and went on Instagram. Is that what he was on? And started waving a gun around. Um, yeah, they play. It was either Denver or LA. They yeah, it was either Denver or LA. So there are some layers to this onion here, uh, Brendan. The first layer is, where did the gun come from? Did he carry that gun on the team plane? Did he carry a gun in on, on a plane and leave his the state of Memphis, I mean, the state of Tennessee, and take that gun somewhere else? Because that in itself is going to be a major issue and and likely a crime. Um, like what does the NBA do about that? Uh, the fact that he's out there waving a gun is a huge issue. 
The fact that the gun was like, it looked like someone's purse gun. That's a whole nother issue. Like, what are you doing? Like taking the gun out of your mom's purse and waving around like, like this little tiny thing. Um, the fact that like he probably needed to be drug tested, um, that night because that didn't look like a normal dude. Uh, like there's some, some crazy things going on here. And Brendan, I don't know. It's really, really hard to watch a young kid who's falling apart and people aren't stepping up and seeing that he's falling apart and, and trying to get him away from whatever element that's, that's hurting him or get him into some sort of help situation where he's actually, you know, like I, I, I would be worried about this situation and worried about it getting worse and worse. Yeah. I, it's, I just don't understand. Like he's really risking so much. He, he just got his shoe, his signature shoe with Nike. They've been having those commercials. He's got this new logo. His, he's one of the up and coming stars in the NBA that was, looked upon I, I feel like so positively and it just like in, such an entertaining player on the court and then there's all this stuff this year the this combined with the Indiana situation earlier this year where there's players on the Indiana bus saying that there's there's red dots they're seeing um it, it's just it really seems to me like it's hanging out with the wrong people and you just have so much at risk for John Morant here that I don't understand why you would jeopardize everything that you have going for you. And it's a bad situation for the entire league. He got suspended two games by the Grizzlies. We'll see if the NBA ends up suspending him as well. I'd imagine they will Um, through some conversations yesterday. A lot of people were throwing out the idea of like five games, which seems like it could be, it should be longer in my mind, but um, that was what a lot of people were kind of thinking yesterday. Um, it, it's really just, it really screams to me like hanging out with the wrong people or, or trying to give off a certain impression. And, and for what reason? Like, I just, there's so much that John Morant has going for him and the way that this, I mean, the entire way that he's looked upon is, has changed over the course of, a couple of weeks. I mean, really the one night even, and there's obviously other instances prior to this, but I never would have, it, it just happened so fast how quick that people are going to look at John Morant differently and it's on him. Um, but it, it was shocking to me. I mean, what's the last sort of scenario like this in the NBA is close thing like Gilbert Arenas. Yeah. I mean, maybe like there are situations like this with, okay, so, the league, it, it's tough because teams are in a weird situation. Like, I, like I, I've been honest about this in the past. I, I had actually gone to the Kings multiple times in the Ben uh, McLemore uh, era about, like, I, I thought that he was in a situation that he wasn't capable to, to handle. And, like, he had so many family members so many hanger-ons like they're at the arena on game nights um people who were family members that all of a sudden were on his payroll as quote-unquote security like why do you need security you're at an nba game you're in sacramento like what exactly is happening like everyone with their hands out and ben mclemore filling out 
20 to 25 envelopes in every pregame that are stuffed with tickets that he's buying for people. So he would spend in pregame, mind you, like we're watching this in the locker room. So, so people who don't know they're, um, for a seven o'clock start, we have, uh, one coat, we have the home coach at five fifteen, the visiting coach at five thirty, and then from five 45 to six 15, like leading up to the game, 45 minutes before the game, we're allowed in the locker room. I'm walking in the locker room at 545, and Ben McLemore is going around asking all of his teammates for free tickets to the game to that night, that that game. And then once he ran out of tickets for his teammates to buy that, would, that his teammates were giving to him, because every player is allotted a certain amount of tickets for a game, he would have to give his credit card to a locker room attendant who would have to then run over to the box office and buy a stack of tickets to fill those envelopes. But it's on the player to fill it all out. So you got Ben McLemore in pregame filling out ticket envelopes with names of who the tickets are going to. And then he's got, but we're talking every game, 15, 20, 25 different envelopes. So he's doing all of this. While he's supposed to be prepping for a game, mentally preparing for a game, the Kings right now at 6 o'clock, uh, they have chapel. So a lot of guys come in and then they go to chapel, which is in another room in the in the building. And they, you know, have a, they, they go over scripture, they, they, they pray, and they get ready for the game in a different way. Ben McLemore was filling out tickets. And so like he's probably the worst example in Sacramento that I've seen of people getting distracted. Although like the stories with Tyreek Evans were extreme as well. Um, and his brothers having to come in and clear out riffraff again and again and again and take credit cards and take car keys from people that somehow had talked Tyreek into getting leases or buying Mercedes for, for them as well and like literally having to take five cars back that that were bought under his name. Like there, these things happen, but teams are limited in what they can do to step in and like help a player. In this situation, that guy's not going anywhere without team security at all. He's not going anywhere. Like from here on out until he figures his stuff out, he needs a team employed or NBA employed like babysitter because this thing can get worse. It, it can fully get worse. And that's what, like if you, this is a, a tale that could get really dark and it already is. We're seeing it. But we're also seeing him and like his whatever his group of guys that the laser pointer thing what that Brendan alluded to, like like those stories. We're friends with Sam Amick. He sits by us at almost every Kings game. He's local. He's not writing a story based on like an account of this off of one person's account. That story's legit. So whatever John Morant wants to say about that story's fake, no, that story happened. Like there, Sam is too good of a reporter to to put a story like out there that like that out there where, you know, first of all his his group of friends got in a fight with players from Indiana, security from Indiana, staffers from Indiana, and then went and got in a car and they drove by really slow, rolled the windows down, and all of a sudden people have laser pointers on their shirt and they thought it was guns in the car, right? So that's the the other story that we're talking about. 
um, like these situations are bad. And uh, we're we're watching like his his dad, who looks like Usher for some reason, uh, sitting courtside at games and getting in fights with with Shannon Sharp or whoever. Like they're living the lifestyle. That's called the NBA lifestyle, and they they have bought their own like uh, like media. Like they're they're so far into this, thinking that they're untouchable, and that's where the league needs to step in. Uh, five games to me, that's not enough. There, there's also on the first of March, he was accused of punching a 17 year old a dozen times and flashing a gun at him in a pickup basketball game. Like, why is he playing a pickup basketball game? And a pickup <laughs> basketball number one, number two. Why are you punching? He get. He, I I read he got disrespected by a seventeen year old, and this is what happens. Like that. Again, NBA security needs to be all over this like the whole time, and they. It's because he needs help. Like something's gone wrong here, and like you have to step in and actually try to get him through this segment of his life and not his basketball career, and that's what needs to be like really, really looked at. This is about someone's life, not a basketball career. And that's what I've seen affected so many times is the life is getting like, they can't handle what's happening in the life, let alone what's on the court. Like when he steps on the court, sure, he's really good. But like, man, this thing has a, uh, a the potential to spin out and get darker and darker and, and for this to end up in some sort of weird tragedy. And like, you don't want that to happen. You don't want it for the league. You don't want it for the Memphis Grizzlies. But realistically, you don't want it for a young man who's very gifted and uh, has all the talent in the world, but is clearly found he's he's lost his way. And I don't want to say it's like the people he's hanging out with or anything. He has lost his way. He's responsible for his own actions, in my opinion. And that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing a kid who's who's making decisions that are not good at all. Yeah. And hopefully this is a wake-up call and things turn around from here and he can clean up whatever he feels he needs to clean up and, and get whatever help he may feel he needs. But hopefully we're looking back at the end of his career and just like, oh, remember that time that happened and everything was good after? Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, and I mean, like also I'll bring up um, like Lorenzen Wright played for the Memphis Grizzlies early in his career. Uh, he ended up playing in Sacramento late in his career. Um, like, ended up being shot and killed and left in a ditch. Like, like these things happen. Like, this, this world that they're in, there are a lot of people coming at you because you got a bunch of money. And so every time he got a signature shoe, how long do you think it takes someone to Google and figure out how much his Nike contract's worth? You just signed up with Powerade. How long do you think it takes for someone to figure out how much you got for that? And how much you think, like, we can sit here and tell you how much money he makes for his contract. And we know that, like, if he's on his second contract, he's going to be making De'Aaron Fox money. Plus, you know, these are things that we actually can track. He's a target. And, and like, but he needs to not be, you know, feed into it. And so, yeah, it's weird. Um, and, and again, like, uh, like Tyler Griner brings up, there's no reason he can't play a pickup game at his house for youth of the area in the middle of an NBA season. You probably shouldn't be playing basketball, a pickup basketball game. Like what if you roll your ankle? I mean, like 
you're a million dollar, you're, you're an asset for an organization and it's bad stuff. So anyway, yeah, I, I hope it works out for him. Uh, I, I hope he needs to, I mean, I, I hope he gets help. I hope that, uh, the Grizzlies are able to step in or whoever is able to step in, you know, it can be a teammate. It can be, uh, like someone within the organization, whatever it is, but, uh, there are limitations on what you can do to help somebody. And hopefully that they have the right person to reach him and, and touch him in the right way. So, uh, he, he figures out that he's, you know, gone astray and, you know, this isn't him being persecuted for something that this is something that, you know, you read the, the press release from him and it's like, okay, well, that's fine. But do you really believe that? Cause I, I can also tell you that I guarantee you, he didn't write that press release. So, right. Yeah. Right. These are things. Yeah. Um, Melissa said, did you like how the NBA is handling this? Um, I don't know. What has the NBA done so far? Like the NBA typically they allow teams to handle some of this stuff. Uh, even like we, we brought this up because we're, we're dealing with the whole Rashawn Holmes situation. Like we can get into that whole mess if we want to as well. Uh, the Rashawn Holmes situation where he's now suing the Sacramento Bee and uh, I think a couple of writers specifically. Um, you know, those are situations where, you know, the the team, if, if he's convicted of something, the team has the first rights to, like, put some sort of su suspension in place. Uh, when Darren Collison uh, pled guilty to misdemeanor, you know, domestic violence charge, um, the Sacramento Kings suspended him eight games. Uh, it was not the NBA who suspended him eight games. Like these are things that, and then the NBA like will review and say, okay, that's enough, or that's not enough, and they can step in and and bump it up. Like something dramatic has to happen here because this is like an entire season of of nonsense. Yeah, it's really, really strange. So. Um, okay. Hey man, uh, I, I think we're going to wrap this thing up. Like it, to my two cents, just for sores out there, uh, on the Rashawn Holmes saying, I think we might've covered this a little bit last pod, but I don't think so. Um, the entire situation was, was bad from the beginning, uh, as far as the way it was covered. And I said that on the original pod, I don't, you know, I'm not going to profess to know what happens behind closed doors and in, in other people's lives. Uh, whether you know there are things that that happen there between a husband and wife and a child that should not have happened or whatever. All I can tell you is that when it was reported, the way it was reported was not good from the beginning. It was one-sided. It was an opinion piece wrapped up in a news-breaking story that the news breaking story that was part of the opinion piece for some reason lacked any so sort of support from the documents that were in place. There was no quoting of the court documents in Rashawn Holmes custody battle case uh, that the, the Sacramento Bee ran with that story, which was always the biggest red flag for me. If you have this story and no one else that he's being accused of domestic violence, then you better put the quotes from the actual complaint into the story so we're not just taking your your understanding of the story like your understanding of what happened at face value because it's now an opinion piece and so again that's why you don't break news and write an opinion piece together because there's like some very specific semantics here that 
you have to cover when you're writing a, a news-breaking piece versus when you're writing opinion. And all of it was funky. And they didn't even bring up the Darren Collison situation, which was one of my other issues. Uh, they acted like the Kings were... Uh, you know, part of the problem here that they have, have a long history of not stepping up and doing anything about domestic violence, and that's just not the case. They actually did in the Darren Collison situation, and that was omitted from the original opinion slash newsbreaking piece. Uh, so some weird stuff that was there. So I hope everything works out for Rashawn Holmes and his family. And there's a little boy here that, you know, is really the one who is going to pay the price for all of this, and I hope that they're able to figure it out. But again, uh, very, very weird situation from the beginning and very unprofessional in my opinion, and it's something I said at the same time, you know, like yeah. is what it is. Yeah, uh, Brent, We yeah. talked about it when it happened, um, I guess, just, just quickly. I pretty much echo what you're saying. I, I think that it was uh, poor reporting at the time, and um, – when that initially comes out that Rashawn is doing this, it's not the most surprising thing to me. I, I understand where he's coming from with doing that. And just to echo what you said at the end, like definitely one of my first thoughts is just goes to their son. That's kind of in the middle of all of this and, and hope that it can get settled for the sake of um, Rashawn, the parents and, and their little one as well, and get everything worked out there because obviously not the, uh, the best situation for, a family dynamic there. Yeah. It's not the best situation. I'll add one last thing to the, when Rashawn, uh, actually gained custody of his son and then his former wife, uh, was supposed to turn the son over and absconded with the child and went to, uh, Georgia and took the, the son to court again and tried to get custody and forum shop. Uh, and then they took, uh, Rashawn's son and held him in custody and called Rashawn and had him come and pick up his son in Georgia. Uh, all of those court documents were made available to the Sacramento Bee and they sat on the story for at least three days, but more like four or five. Uh, and then I got the, the actual court documents and like wrote a news breaking story on it, not an opinion piece because I don't know all the facts and I haven't interviewed all the people, but I'm certainly not diving into that. I cover basketball. I can write a news writing piece about it. And they sat on that aspect of it for days before I broke the news on that. And that was just another element of what are you doing? Like you, you now have the, the actual court documents that say there is no proof of anything. It's in the court documents. She has no cell phone pictures of, of you know whatever there there was supposed to be as far as the the child abuse there was no threatening text messages she couldn't show those in court none of it so it became like this really really strange situation but also where uh like the follow-up wasn't done after the fact and when it was shown in court that that Rashawn had been given custody of his son and all that stuff it, that story was sat on as well so and I'll also just add, like, while there's obviously people at the B that mishandled it, it doesn't mean every single person at the B was part of this. Like Jason Very Anderson true. and Chris Biederman were not part of this in any sort of way. Um, and I just think that's a important thing for people to know. Yeah, and and Jim Patrick, who was a sports editor at the time, they weren't part of it. Uh, right. This was something that was done outside of the scope of the sports department. Uh, yeah, just kind of, kind of a weird situation, but. 
I, I hate covering those things, but it's part of the job. Um, we've had quite a few DUIs to cover. We've had, um, this is the second or third potential domestic violence situation that we've had here in Sacramento that we've had to cover, um, and maybe even fourth, if I'm going back, maybe even fifth, uh, that has been part of like what's happened here in my 13 years covering this team. Um, and it's, it's just part of, part of the job. So, uh, okay. Uh, Brandon, let's finish on a different note. Um, before we, we'll, we'll make this our final thoughts, I guess. Uh, if you have any final thoughts to add afterwards, you're more than welcome. Um, this is your second full season covering the team. You saw last year, you saw the worst of how things can go wrong and how bad things can get. Uh, and you, you sat there quietly while we all knew that Luke Walton was likely giving his last press conference. Um, you went through a coaching change. You went through a team that gave up and started giving up 140 points tonight. Uh, just how much different is this experience for you? Cause it's way different for me, but even though, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, it's still way different, but this year for you, how is this different for you as a young reporter? It's very different. I mean, it almost feels like I want to call this one actually year one, um, but I guess that's not fair because, I mean, last year was just a learning process from my individual standpoint the entire time. Like just even figuring out the way to um, kind of approach different questions, maybe not ask, not telling coaches that they're hiding players, but uh, different ways to indirectly ask things and, and things like that. Like this year has been totally different. I mean, covering winning basketball is is also an entirely different experience um, a lot of different personalities on these teams and just getting to know all of these players a little bit better and kind of getting a feel for when maybe is and isn't the time to ask certain things um, coach brown has been my favorite person in the world to talk to he, he's always a person that i most look forward to uh speaking with yesterday he had a funny moment in post game with uh tony and Tony was kind of asking about skip passes. I don't think that was initially his question, but that's what ended up coming up. And coach turned over his box score and took out a pen and drew out some X's and O's explaining to Tony what a skip pass is. And like, that is a great example to me of Mike Brown. Like he, and it's not in a condescending tone or anything. It is legitimately trying to be as transparent as possible and, I just really appreciate the honesty um, of coach Brown from what we've seen. And I've had a great time in this year. There's times it's maybe a little bit uh, overwhelming, but I certainly can't complain. Yeah. It's fun to sit and watch good basketball, winning it basketball. It, it really is. It is really a lot of fun. Also, and, and Golden you, one is like the loudest place I've ever been at in my life. I love it. Brendan, you're getting to experience it. Like I was lucky enough to go to the 95, 96 playoffs, uh, I, and plenty of other playoffs during the, uh, the 1998 to 2006 run, um, Arco arena still is a louder building. Um, but it's coming. You can like, you can feel what's happening at golden one center and the crowd getting bigger and bigger and noisier and noisier. And, uh, yeah. It, just so you know, Brennan, they talk about the playoff le level. There's another level the fans will get in the playoffs, and it is a blast. They're like going to playoff games. There were a time where you really needed um, you needed earplugs. 
because you're walking out of the building and you can't hear anything afterwards. I mean, it's like deafening. So yeah, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna have a good time with this, man. I'm enjoying it. It's not nothing that I've ever covered for sure. I've never had a, we're two wins away from my, my high of, uh, 19 wins. I mean, 39 wins, 39 wins. We're two wins away from that. And there's 19 games left in the season. So, I mean, this, this team has a potential to win 50 there. That's 50 is still on the table. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been a great season to cover and I'm glad you don't just have to get beaten down. Like Sean and I have (laughs) over the last, I mean, it's good. You're getting to see like the, the fun side that actually covering basketball should be. And, you know, I get, I've gotten that from covering the Warriors playoff runs the last couple of years. Uh, you know, or for a long time, I had covered Warriors playoff runs. It, it's definitely something that's different, and you kind of get to see the highs and the lows, uh, as opposed to just the lows, which we've kind of had to deal with here in Sacramento. There were definitely games last year where they would just get their ass totally kicked, and I would be there <laughs> sitting with you like, I don't know what to ask today. It's okay. You don't have to ask anything. That's what I would tell <laughs> right. you every time. You don't have to ask anything. We got you. But Sean and I and – Jason Anderson, we can uh, whether it's tactfully or not, we can ask the questions that have to uh, that have to be asked in those situations. Yeah, it's it's weird, but so it's good to see it come full circle, and I I hope that it it continues this way. It, it, and and not only that, but that this isn't a one off, and that we get to see this for a couple of years. That would be fun. Uh, all right, man. Do you have any final thoughts? I don't know how this happened, but yesterday I ended up re-listening to Mike Brown's introductory press conference and kind of reflecting back. And first of all, I remember leaving that presser and everybody being extremely impressed with Mike Brown. And, but just to hear like the three things that he specifically laid out that would lead to a good culture that he was going to try to implement. And those being a vertical and horizontal alignment of trust, a set of values that are led and upheld by the leaders and an embracement of your role. Like reflecting back now, I know we still like, if he's talking about long sustaining success, um, that that still is TBD and this is just the ideal beginning of that, but he's done exactly everything that he said he wanted to. So credit to Mike Brown. Isn't it interesting to see somebody who doesn't have to come up with something new at the end? He laid out his staples at the beginning of the year and he's forced his team to live up to those and his team has lived up to those. And now he can still talk about the same things, you know, his, his basic tenets, the only thing, that is, it's killing Mike Brown, just so people don't, it's killing him how bad they are defensively. Like, on Friday night, there was no defensive player of the game, and that's like, <laughs> none of you deserve it, damn you! <laughs> I felt bad because I chuckled a little when he said nobody <laughs> won it, but he was dead serious. Oh, he was pissed. He's pissed, and I don't blame him for being pissed. He has no idea how to how to put this thing in perspective. Like, like yeah, I bad you're bad defensively that's all i can say uh yeah and it's just something that it's not him and he doesn't know how to deal with it so uh yeah maybe i think we're gonna see kessler edwards quite a bit here in the the final 19 games then again we could never see him again (laughs) i we have no idea so awesome um okay well that's gonna do it for this edition of the king's beat podcast uh if you're still watching give us a thumbs up uh subscribe Subscribe to The King's Beat. Go to thekingsbeat.com. Become a premium subscriber to get access to everything that we do here uh, and support the cause here. Uh, Outside of that, we'll be back this week 
probably have a podcast on Tuesday. Uh, the reason why we're doing a podcast on Sunday is because we had that weird Tuesday and then they had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. Uh, and we did one podcast. Oh, no. They had Wednesday and Thursday off. So we had done a podcast and then they had back-to-backs on Friday, Saturday, which makes it tough. So that's why we're doing it today. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. They play the Pelicans tomorrow. Uh and that should be a very exciting and big game for this Sacramento Kings team. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us on this journey. Uh, so for Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast, I am James Hammond, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Thanks for joining us on this live show. See you in a couple of days. Sean will be back. Uh, be good. <laughs>